Uh, last week, uh, when we left, we finished up the meat and potato series, and we left campus. Uh, Lisa said, hey, Tom, uh, how do you feel about how things went? I told her, I said, you know, I just feel like the meat and potato series was significant for our church. I'm not really sure why. I don't really know what God's up to, but I think it was significant for our church. And I told her, I said, I'm glad to have that one on the books. And what I mean by that is, so now whenever you're kind of going, uh, meeting someone, talking to someone, and they're saying, hey, what's Alive all about? You can point to the meat and potato series and say, well, this is what God's doing right now at Alive, and it's a big deal. And so if you've missed out on meat and potatoes, you know, spend some time in it and see what you think, and uh, you'll get an idea. And that series, believe it or not, was planned before this series so that they're going to dovetail together. And so I'm kind of trusting that a good group of us have sort of been through the meat and potatoes, and then we're going to go a little deeper uh, today. Um, but I think that's important. I think God is up to something in our community, uh, significant. So I, I've done ministry for a long time, and I've noticed that the thing sort of ebbs and flows. Sometimes you kind of plan and strategize, and sometimes God overwhelms. And we've experienced those as, as alive as well, and I, I just sense we're kind of on that moment again. And I don't know what it looks like. But I sense we're in the moment. And so uh, be, be sensitive to what God would have you do personally, and, and I will too. Um, in the Meat and Potatoes series, we answered two questions. And the questions were this. Do you have a relationship with God? And if so, what's it look like? And the longer I'm in ministry and the longer I hang around with Christian people, I'm starting to believe the second question is more important than the first question. We really say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know God? And they'll say, yeah. If you're on a plane, you fire that one up. And yeah. And especially here in the South, Yeah. But really, the, the most important question is the second, you know, what does your relationship with God look like? And so what we've been doing in the meat and potatoes and what we're doing in this series, Live Life, is we're going after that second question. What does a relationship with God actually look like? And I just want to warn you, I'm going to push against some norms for you today. And, um, and you're going to, I'm convinced that this series and what I'm going to do today is like the quickest way to downgrow a church possible. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure this is going to work, but I think it's truth. And so uh, you guys can kind of determine whether or not you believe that and, uh, and we'll just, we'll just go forward. So that laid the groundwork, meat and potatoes for this series today. Uh, I want to introduce a series in this, this morning, kind of, kind of tee it up and let it fly. And then we'll, we'll do some things with it throughout the, throughout the next month or so. I think there are three questions that sort of all of our lives fall under the scrutiny of. And so you see if you agree with what I'm saying, but these three questions seem to be on repeat in my mind, uh, uh, frequently, on numerous fronts. The first question is, what needs to be done? The second question is, what needs to change? And the third question, what do I need to do better? These questions keep me awake at night sometimes. Fair? Are you with me? Don't you have those same kinds of ideas when you think about family, or you think about you know, marriage, you think about your job, you think about your body, you think about uh, the things in your home? All these questions just like kind of cycle, I think, what needs to be done. In fact, I bought a, a, a whiteboard, I don't know what they're called, and, you, and it's a magnet, so it's st- stuck it on the fridge just so I could write tasks that I need to do around, the, around our place that I forget that needs to be done. And and so I've, I've written, that, written that out. About, about a year ago, uh, Lisa and I moved from like 0.8 acres in a subdivision to 30 acres of land. These questions are haunting me now. And so, you know, we've worked hard our whole lives, and now we're sitting on that front porch enjoying it. I'm looking, oh, I better fix that fence. Oh, I got to mow that grass. Oh, I better trim that tree. I mean, it's just constant going things. And I was like, I should have had 14 more children so they could do all these things, you know? And I could just sit back and relax. But of course, these questions, they apply more than just to kind of chores around the house. How about this? 
Um, any of you live under the pressure of the oughts or the shoulds? Of course you do. <laughs> and if you're married to someone who does, I'll guarantee you don't. <laughs> you know, oughts and shoulds kind of go together, and, and, and there's always more to be done, and we have this sense that we ought to do, be, be doing more. We ought to be doing better. We should be doing better than what we're doing. We should change this. And you think of any relationship you have, think of any attitude, any identity issue, any behavior, and if you have no idea what it's like to live under the scrutiny of these questions, ask your significant other, because I guarantee they have some ideas for you, and I bet that's a fun house to live in. But after kind of wrestling with these questions, what I thought we should do is even make it more complicated after we come out of the meat and potatoes series, and let's throw some Jesus in on these questions. So see what you think about this. What does Jesus say needs to be done in my life? Or what does Jesus say needs to change? What does Jesus say I need to do better? And these are all significant questions, and if you're raised anything close to what I was raised, these two can kind of cycle through, especially on Sunday morning, and ideally, by the time I'm done with Sunday, and then I have some some Mexican food for lunch, and then I take my nap, ideally I can forget all these questions, you know, and wait till next Sunday, But I realized as I processed these, that these were not the issue. If if, if I asked you, like we could pass a mic around, and I would say, hey, tell me, what does Jesus say needs to be done in your life? You would probably have one or two things. Fair? Come on. Everybody with me? Or if I said, hey, what does Jesus say needs to change in your life? And we had a level of trust where you could say, well, let me tell you, one, I shouldn't have started with the dog hump joke, you know. That'd be one thing that needs to change. Or, what does Jesus say I need to do better? <laughs> Speak. You know, whatever it is, those kinds of things I need to do better. But what I realize is it's not these questions. It's the question behind these questions that I really have to answer. And this is what I would say is the most significant question in the spiritual journey to all these other questions. And it's this. Do I want to? <laughs> do I want to? Because most likely when I put the first list up about Jesus, you all all have things that would come to your mind. So the question isn't whether or not those things are true. The question is, do we want to do anything about it? See, if I don't want to do something, then what I need to do is irrelevant. Follow? If I don't want to do something, then what I need to do, who cares? What I need to do isn't relevant at all. Now, let me confess a rather embarrassing thing to you. As a pastor, professional Christian, I, pay, I play in the pros as a, as a believer. You know, as, as that kind of person, let me say this. I don't always want the same things Jesus wants. I don't. There are some things, if I could write Scripture, I would change. And I won't, so, so don't worry. I'm not going to rewrite anything, but... I don't always want to do. I don't always want to do what it's going to take to see what Jesus wants for my life become a reality. I don't always want what Jesus wants in my marriage, in my role as father or pastor or leader or friend. I don't always want the same things. In fact, let me go even further, as long as this is like confession time for Tom. That's like an intervention just for me. Yay! I can get burned out on the whole thing. I can get so stinking tired of church people, including myself. Do you know how difficult that is? And I hear something, I read something in the news, and I come to church, like, okay, here we go. And the people say, there are lost people in the world. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? They just kind of have this kind of burned out feeling about things sometimes. 
There have been times in my life where I've even lost interest in what Jesus is doing in the world. More specifically, what he's trying to do in me. And all this has led to a self-diagnosis. I have a broken wonner. So do you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you have a broken wanter. Go ahead. Go ahead and say it. You want to. Don't say anything else. Just say you have a broken wanter, right? See, I think it's part of the normal Christian experience to have a broken wanter. I think this is part of our normal experience. It's to resist or sometimes even not want the same thing that Jesus wants. I mean, <laughs> there are all kinds of areas. Now listen, this isn't always true of my life. There are sometimes my wanter is working fine. I'll give you an example. When grace and mercy is introduced to my sin and shame, I want everything Jesus wants. Fair? How about, how, how about this? When I have wronged someone and they have to forgive me, I want everything Jesus wants. Jesus says, you have to forgive me. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. You know, that's kind of what I feel. But when the roles are reversed, the wanter gets debunked. When I was afraid because someone I loved was sick and I needed a big God to help me and comfort me, I wanted that Jesus. I wanted that one. But there are certainly seasons and even areas of my life where my wanter and God's plan or God's ways or what God desires to do and my finances or my character are not on the same page. And this has led me to an honest question that on reflection has made me quite miserable, to be honest. This honest question that has kind of been unsettling to me at the core, I now want to share with you in hopes that you too will be unsettled. Don't you love the pastor's heart? And so here's, here's the question. If we wanted the same things that Jesus wants for our life, do you think or believe that what would come out of us has a chance at being better than what's currently coming out of us? I'm going to read it again because it's a long question. If you're like me, once we get above three or four words, I kind of, well, you know, kind of moment. So, so let me just read it again. Didn't you answer for yourself, Fair. So if you wanted the same things Jesus wants for your life, do you believe that what would come out of you has a chance at being better than what's currently coming out of you? Let's, let's, let's put some meat on this bone. How, how would your marriage be if we polled people that you're like married to? Hopefully that's just one. But you know, if we kind of had that poll, we said, hey, do you think Tom would be better, Lisa, if... Tom had more of uh, the things Jesus wants for his life. Do you think he'd be better as a husband? And she, of course, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, he's a pastor. I mean, of course, no. She would say, yeah, there may be one or two things. What about my children? Let's bring all them up. Rachel, Sarah, Thomas. Hey, uh, do you think your dad would be a better dad? And they would all have to vote yes. My friends, call them up on the platform. Hey, <laughs> if Tom had more Jesus coming out, do you think, he... yep, they would. He would. The people I work with, yep, they would all say the same thing. So how would my identity or my self-esteem be impacted? How would relationships change? How would my personal integrity, my morality change for better or worse? That's the question that's kind of in my mind. 
So all this sort of leads to the big question that we're going to answer in this series, and it's this, that I think everybody has to answer. But do I want to live life as Jesus wants me to live life? That's the question. That's the question, respectfully, you have to mind down on. I'm not talking about lip service. I'm not talking about picking and choosing buffet-style Jesus. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just simply asking you this bottom rock foundational question that I think we all have to engage at some level. Do you want to live the life as Jesus wants you to live life? Yes? No? And this series is going to try to answer and clarify that question. And so what I want to do as we go after this is when we're finished, I trust we're all going to have a better understanding of not only what Jesus wants for my life, but whether I want it in my life. And so what I want to do is I'm going to lay out like three ideas to you today, and I'm going to hopefully just make us all unrestful or uncomfortable enough that we'll come back and process them together. And if you want to follow their notes, or maybe just take a picture of the three big ideas, either way you want to take notes is fine with me, but these are the big foundations for what we're going to do in this series. Here's the first one, and uh, don't boo me, but here's the first one that I want to go after. God's greatest goal in my life is to form me into the kind of person who he can trust with whatever it is that I want. Now, before you draft an email to me and tell me how I'm wrong and all that kind of stuff, just stay with me because in order to understand this one, you're going to have to get the second one. But let me pause on this one. God's greatest goal in my life, whether this is right or wrong, you just think, God's greatest goal in my life is to actually form us into the kind of person who he can trust with whatever it is that I want. Now, that's a scary statement, and it can lead to a whole lot of bad places, but it's also a true statement. There was this time when the disciples came to Jesus, and they were trying to do something for Jesus, and they couldn't do it. And so they went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, we're trying to do this for you, and we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do it? And that's when Jesus replied with this. He said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for God. Nope. Nothing will actually be impossible for you. This is what the Bible says. So for me, nothing will be impossible. Now, when I was a kid, I would hear that preached, and I could visualize. I thought, man, what an awesome superhero gift this would be if I could just move a mountain you all need more imagination. If I could just move a mountain, you know, like, boom, you know, that kind of moment, I thought, well, now I'm in my 50s, so I'm matured, and I still think it would be an awesome superhero gift to have. I've already got a plan. I, like, I, got, I was on Colorado, and I saw a couple of mountains. I thought, I'm just going to drop them. And I even got a site for it right down in Columbia on a certain football stadium. I thought I could just kind of place it right there. Nobody would care. There's nothing in Columbia you want to go to. Now there's a mountain. Everybody comes. Okay, if you don't want that, let's just drop it where the Patriots play. Nobody likes the Patriots. Let's just drop it there. What a great idea. Okay, let's get out of sports. Enough sports analogies. You all know how I feel about sitting in traffic after 14 miles that the lane's going to go into one lane, and then you've got all these people flying up the left trying to merge in, and all those dead gum Christians letting those people merge in in the front. I want to drop a mountain right on their hybrid, right there, baby. <laughs> oh, let's stand for closing prayer. This has been good. <clears throat> been a good one. 
Now there's, there's a problem here with what I got going on. How foolish it would be for God to give me the ability to move a mountain because I would mess up the entire ecosystem and someone in a hybrid would have a very bad day. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did in this verse. See, Jesus attached faith to the task. Let me put it this way. How foolish it would be for God to give me what I want when I don't have the character to handle it. You follow? How foolish it would be for God to give you what you think you want when you don't have character to handle it. Two things we don't want to miss. One, God says we can have faith so that nothing is impossible for us. That's what He says in the Bible. Okay, But two... He attached the level of our faith to what we want. Disconnect between who we are and who God desires us to be, but also between who we are and what God desires to give us. And that's probably true for many of us listening in the room. That's the first foundation. Here's my second foundational idea for this series. As our character is formed into the same character as Jesus, our wanter will begin to want the same things that Jesus wants. Now here's the reality of this statement. Many of us, probably most of us, all of us at one time or another, don't want to give up what we want. And that's why the whole thing with Jesus is kind of messing us up we don't want to give up and that may be where you are you sit there and say tom this is exactly why i'm not a believer i don't want to give up my life blah blah and i would say to you then don't you shouldn't give up if you don't believe don't do it (laughs) what i would say to you is just throw yourself in pursuing who jesus is try to figure it out for yourself but don't give don't give up your life to something you don't know pursue that Center life on Jesus, because what I read is that if we'll do that, then the behavior and all the other stuff changes because our hearts change. As I hang around with other Christians and I walk with them through all stages of life and faith, I'm sort of amazed that we've built this thing of churches and church idea and church identity on things that I don't think we understand. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I I think that, that there are a number of Christians who don't understand the number one thing Jesus talked about and, and the thing that he wants for all of us. If we pulled the room, I I don't think we'd ever get to it. See, most of us would say, what's the number one thing Jesus talked about? Most of us would say, Jesus talked about the good news, the gospel. And if you're not familiar with that term, the gospel is basically this. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. If you put your faith in in him, your sins are forgiven. And when you die, you go to heaven or go to hell, depending on what you did with Jesus. This is pretty much the gospel message. Everybody okay so far? And sometimes we preachers overemphasize this because we have pressure to kind of gain converts or whatever we got to do. And we'll preach these messages kind of like turn or burn kind of messages because of this. So what we'll literally try to do is scare hell out of you in hopes that you'll actually receive the gospel. For some of us, that's kind of what we, we do. And, and I'm not really necessarily... Turning, a, saying this isn't true. I think the gospel is in the scripture. I believe that. But it's not the number one thing Jesus talked about. 
Jesus did bring the gospel. He did bring the message of hope and forgiveness. But do you know what he talked about the most when he was on this planet? Read it for yourself. The, the most thing that Jesus talked about was this. The kingdom of God's right here. And it's available to anyone who will trust him starting right now. That's what he talked about. And that was huge. If you believe what I'm saying, this is huge. Because what it means is this. He didn't teach a faith that says, make a one-time decision and you're good to go. He taught an introduction to live and participate in the kingdom of God. And it starts right now. What does Jesus want for you? He wants all parts of us. The good and the bad. The pretty and the ugly. Give them to me. The things you're secure in, the things you're afraid of, give them to me and put them in the kingdom of God and I'll give all those things new meaning. Jesus is in you and He was with you and you will be fine because you're in His kingdom right now. See, there's this insecurity that's part of Christians these days that's driving me sort of bonkers because we're misunderstanding this whole, whole concept of what Jesus taught. Jesus wants more for us in that kingdom. Let me ask you this question. What's eternal life? Most of the time, Christians have a wrong understanding of that. What's eternal life? I say, oh, well, this is what it is. You die and you go to heaven. You're going to walk on streets of gold. You're going to have a pearl. You're going to have a stream of silver. And you're going to play a harp. It's going to be awesome. Really? (laughs) That sounds a lot like the other place, to be quite honest, at least to me. You know why? Ready? That's not eternal life. That's not it. I would venture to say some of you listening to the sound of my voice thinks eternal life is this. We grind through this life. The good and the bad and the ugly. And then we die. And after a funeral, eternal life starts. Do you know Jesus hardly ever taught about what happens after a funeral? He did. But he didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. He didn't. You know why? Because for him, eternal life wasn't what happened after the funeral. Yeah, I know. You think, Tom, you're going to get an email. All right, I'll send it. Jesus was praying for us in the garden. And eternal life is this. I'm sorry, let's go back to that slide you just did. You were right. I, I, I got confused on mine. Can we go back? Hey, okay, here's the thing. This is eternal life. You put your faith in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven, you won't perish or go to hell. After you, after you die, you'll live forever. Is that pretty much eternal life, what we all understand? Yes. Yeah, but that's not how Jesus, what Jesus said it was. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for all of us in the room. He's praying for believers. And he starts with this in his prayer. Now, this is eternal life. Don't show them the answer yet. I mean, I was going to build up to that. But I mean, okay, well, that's fine. No, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, look at him, now you're getting smart. That's right. <laughs> this is what he said. He said, this is eternal life. That they may know you. Look at that. Wait a minute, what about the harps? Mm, not in there. Not here. This is eternal life, that they'll know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. 
what that means if that's true, and I'm assuming it is because Jesus said it, is that eternal life doesn't start after I have a nice funeral. But eternal life, ready? Actually starts now. You're in it. You're doing it now. According to what Jesus said eternal life is. Eternal life, what Jesus said was life to the full. Life beyond measure begins the moment we face God and we say, I want to know you. How do we know God? How do we begin eternal life? Paul, Paul wrote a letter to a church in 2 Corinthians and he answered the question. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light, ready, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Knowledge of God's glory is displayed in the face of Jesus and eternal life begins with the person of Jesus Christ. And I can start living eternal life if, if I start with Jesus right now. We think eternity, eternal life, is all about a good retirement after our funeral. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus said, I want you to know me fully and I want to give you life beyond measure, life to the full. That didn't have an addendum or an addition that said, after you die. No, no, no. He was talking about this right here, right now. Jesus wants us to know him fully. He wants us to live in this deep, essential intimacy with each and every one of us, where if you want to really know who Tom is and what makes him tick, you have to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you'll never know Tom. But not just Tom. If you want to know what the church is, you want to know who the bride of Christ is, you have to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then you'll never know what the church is or who the bride of Christ is. Jesus wants a personal relationship with us so deep that we would share a drink from the same bottle kind of relationship with each and every one of us. That's the relationship Jesus wants, and that's what eternal life begins with. And it's available to each and every one of us. What does Jesus want for us? He wants us to live in his kingdom, and that eternal kingdom starts right now in this day, in your circumstances, in your situation right now, in your home right now. And that leads to my third and final foundational statement for this series. Why does all this matter? Because of this. Every sin and every fear and every insecurity in your life and mine can be linked back to either not knowing who God really is or not believing that what God says is really true. You will never... Uh, I probably should say never. It will always be a challenge <laughs> to get past those fears and insecurities if you think the big prize is after you die. Whoopie ding dong. 
that's not helping me here. And that's because Jesus said, the big prize isn't after you die. The big prize is now. It's now. A personal share drink from the same bottle kind of relationship with God himself. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible that some part of what you believe is true about God, some part of what you believe is true about yourself, some part of what you believe is true about life or about the world, is it possible some part of that is actually wrong? Because if what we believe is wrong, can we ever truly live life Or are we just settling for a life? If what I believe about God or believe about myself is wrong, then can I ever really live this life? Or am I settling for a life? I wonder if some of us under the banner of Christianity, and even those outside of that, are actually trying to live our life because that's kind of what we're being sold in our culture. Live your life Find your truth, which is really philosophically and psychologically and theologically silly and damaging in my mind. Live your life even if it's wrong. Who would say that to their kid? Pursue your truth, son, even if you are an idiot. Or however you say that in nice pastor terms or preacher parent terms. I don't know. But live your life whatever you want. I mean, that's ridiculous. And yet we're drinking it by the gallons. Live your life. Find your truth. There is no such thing as your truth. There's only the truth. And then you're going to react to it. That's it. Imagine if we were living our entire lives based on a lie. In order to make ourselves feel better. That doesn't sound loving or worthwhile to me. Scripture teaches we can live life as we get to know who Jesus really is. So what if each of us had a vision for our lives that lined up and agreed with what Jesus says is most important? Would that give you a better life? So that's kind of what we're going to try in this series. Three foundational ideas. God's greatest goal in my life is to form me into the kind of person who He can trust with whatever it is that I want. Nothing is impossible for you, Scripture says. As our character is formed into the same character as the character of Jesus, our wanter will begin to want the same things that Jesus wants. And then every sin, fear, and insecurity in our lives can be linked back to either not knowing who God really is are not believing that what God says is really true. And so here we are as a church. You have made a choice to come here. Some of you have made a choice to actually be vested here, be part of what's happening here. And it's why for the past two years we've been issuing this call to raise up missional people, missional leaders who will live missional lives. And we've been trying to beat that drum over and over and over again. People who truly desire to live life in their families, life to the full in their marriages, life to the full in their children, life to the full in their dorm room and in their friendships and in their finances, life to the full. People who understand there is no life outside of an understanding of Jesus because that's what he said eternal life is. 
That's why as a church we are seeking God and giving, giving Him surrendered permission to change our very character, who we are. And there are folks in my life that I have relationships with, maybe some of you are, the, and, and, and they don't think they need Jesus. They, they wonder whether Jesus is actually worth building a life around, and respectfully, the reason that's true is because you really don't know Jesus. And so as a church, what we're trying to do is we're trying to be a place where people can bump into Jesus and get to know who He really is. So in a couple of weeks or maybe a month, I have no idea when the timeline is, we're going to open that new building out over there, the new children's wing, and the kids are going to be excited and all that kind of stuff, and they're going to run in, and they're going to see a slide, they're going to see a tunnel. It's all going to be exciting for them. It's going to be wonderful. But you know what we need? We need people in those halls who are choosing to live missionally. What you need your kids to run into is one of you who actually believes that eternal life starts now and they can be part of the kingdom right now. That's what we need. That's what we need across our community. People in whatever format, whatever platform God has given you to function where you believe eternal life starts now and that everybody can have a personal share a drink from the same bottle kind of relationship with Jesus Christ right now and we're part of His kingdom right now. That's what we need. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what's one thing I would wish for this congregation? If I could sit down with you, and, and we could have a dialogue, and open, honest conversation, and just kind of have this moment of sharing where each other is, and all that kind of stuff. What would I want for you? And what would I want for me? And, and it came back to actually something we pray for our children in our home. And, and what, we, what we would say is this, um, I would want somewhere along the line to be able to share with you Hey, guess what? You're enough in Christ because you're part of His kingdom right now and you begin a relationship with Him right now. I would want to give that to everybody. Like if we could take two pills. You are enough in Christ. How you look, what you do, the pressure, the I shoulds, the I oughts, you're enough in Jesus Christ. But then I realized that's above my pay grade and I can't give that to you. And you can't give that to me. Church can't do it. That's a God thing. But as a church, we can provide a safe place where people are allowed to work through their stuff and to learn that they are enough in Christ. And can you imagine a room full of people who walk out into that community, into those places God has planted us, with that kind of comfort and that kind of confidence. My eternal life starts now. And I'm part of God's kingdom right here, right now. And what that means is every decision I make, everything I want, how I choose to invest my life is part of God's kingdom. I want us to live life. And together, we're going to figure out what that means. Deal? Jesus, thank you so much for these good people. Thank you for the high honor of talking to them and this morning sharing with them what's in my heart. It's building. Uh, just building and building and just this sense of reawakening for our church. This desire to see us step beyond punching a ticket for after we die when everything's going to be fine. 
the desire to live a life where you're part of every decision, every breath, not just something we do on Sunday. You're part of what we represent, the people we lead, people we live with, people we work with. And we understand, Lord, oh man, that we would understand there is a kingdom being built and it's not Tom's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. And we turn our eyes toward you and engage in this eternal life, no longer afraid, no longer filled with fear about what might happen because we're part of God's kingdom that is forcefully advancing. Eternal life starts now. Thank you for inviting us to that table. In your name, amen.